Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Barbara Fletcher, associate pastor, as she begins. Well, it's great to be with you. A privilege to get to teach the Word of God today. I um, have missed doing that. I asked if I could take a little bit of a break for three months so I could work on curriculum and work on getting the clinic open and some other things. So it's an honor to be back with you people and get to stand at this pulpit. And just so I can dispel all questions for the rest of why I'm standing here, I broke my wrist. So that's why I'm wearing a cast. And I have a new respect for the value of my right thumb, in fact, my entire right hand, since I am profoundly right-handed. But um, I was biking with grandkids, so I went down in a good cause. So that's, <laughs> that's the good news of the cast. I take the Statesman Journal like probably a lot of you do, and some days I actually have time to read it. And uh, one day recently I was uh, reading the paper and came across an article about a man and a woman that um, are all in for golf. I don't know how else to describe them. Uh, They're a retired couple, and they play golf, not just nine holes a day or 18 holes a day, but according to this article, 27 or 36 holes of golf a day. That would be six to eight hours of golf, just for those of you that don't play too much. Uh, it's a lot of golf, and uh, the article, the reason they were even in the paper is that uh, they play out at Elkhorn Golf Course not far from Salem, and on the same day in September, in the morning, the husband hit a hole in one, and in the afternoon, the wife hit a hole in one, so it was quite, they are impressive golfers because uh, they are truly all in for golf. Maybe some of you are jealous, and you wish you could play like that too. Then I saw this other article about the, a dam built over the Colorado River um, and over the, uh, or, or, sorry, a bridge built over the Hoover Dam on the Colorado River. And I uh, thought of my uh, good friend Phil Rabb, who's a bridge engineer and has built bridges his entire career. It's an impressive, impressive bridge. You can see it in that picture, about a third of a mile long. And more than that, in my mind, it's like 90 stories tall, almost 900 feet above the river. And I cannot even remotely imagine working on that bridge. It strikes terror in my heart. But uh, other people couldn't imagine it either. And for years, people said, no, don't try it, don't try it. But one man just, uh, he was all in about this bridge. And no matter the, the people that said you can't get the money, no matter the heat that was a big issue, no matter the winds that were apparently a big issue, um, he led the team that saw the building of that bridge through, and it opens this week. Very, very impressive. <clears throat> all in. I got to go to a Young Life dessert this week and uh, see the many young lifers that are all in to serve kids in our city, and I absolutely love that ministry. I know many of you are all in for Bible study fellowship, and you serve as discussion leaders and some of you as teaching leaders, and you're all in to teach people the Word of God and help them walk with Jesus, and thank you for that. Uh, Throughout this church, all of you sitting here, so many of you are all in to serve Jesus. You serve our little kids. Thank you. You serve our students. Our middle schoolers are off on a retreat this weekend right now, uh, hopefully getting closer to Jesus and making great friends along the way. Um, You serve our high school kids. You serve as group leaders. You serve in the Life Center. You serve in the clinic. You serve all over the place delivering wood and all kinds of things. You're all in to serve for Jesus, and uh, thank you for that. 
I was uh, impacted when I dropped by the clinic a week ago yesterday uh, to see how things were going on a Saturday morning. And uh, there was a, a great story happening. There was a, as a little woman, and I do mean little. She couldn't be taller than that. And uh, her name is Mimi. And Mimi is an interpreter uh, like Robin, except Mimi interprets Spanish at the clinic. And she had a couple that she met in the community uh, recently who were both quite ill, especially the husband. And she said, you really need medical help, but they had no insurance and no finances to get that help. And so she said, you need to come to the free clinic, but realize that they were too sick to stand in line through the night hoping to get in the next morning. And so Mimi uh, came at midnight and stood in line all through a 40-degree cold night until 8 in the morning so that her friends um, could be numbers 1 and 2 into the clinic that day and get the medical help that they needed. Um, Mimi's all in to loving people to Jesus. We're launching a Bible study series and uh, sermon series this week that's all about Jesus. And I am convinced that at the end of the next 25 weeks, by next May, when we finish this particular series, we are going to be more in for Jesus ourselves, more fully devoted than we've ever been before, more sold out to Jesus, perhaps, than we have been in the past. We're going to look at him from all different angles. We're going to look from the angles of the people that were touched by his life, 25 different individuals or characters, if you will, in the scriptures, and see how Jesus influenced their lives well like for example we will look at skeptics like uh, nicodemus who was a religious leader and had great questions about jesus and he asked them of jesus or a skeptic like james who was literally jesus's brother who said he's crazy he didn't get it at first We're going to look at Jesus through the lives of the lepers that he healed or the blind men that he gave sight or many other people that he touched in physical ways. We're going to look at Jesus through the eyes of some demon-possessed people uh, in the scriptures. For example, Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus touched her life and it was transformed. We're going to look at the life of Legion, who was possessed by even more demons, lived in graveyards and bound up in chains and lived a hideous, awful life until Jesus touched his life and he was never the same again. We're going to look at the life of Matthew, a man who gave up a privileged life to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at a widow with two cents who gave up those last two cents uh, to God because she was all in to the Lord. And I think each week as we look at these characters, we will find that a puzzle begins to fit together for us. The pieces of the puzzle will slide in and we'll see Jesus a little more clearly because we'll see how he affected this kind of a person and that kind of a person and that kind of a person. And as that happens, um, I do believe we'll be all in for him in a new way because when we look at their lives, we'll see that they were all in Jesus. Once they knew him, once they experienced him, once they understood him, uh, they were fully in for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we launch with the first character, if you will, and his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was all in for Jesus from the moment of his birth. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And uh, if you want to grab a pew Bible, it's on page 1013. 
page 1013, Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. As we look at these different characters um, over the weeks and certainly today, we find that pieces of their stories are often in different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So we look at different places as we will today to put together the story of John the Baptist. And I'd invite you to stand if you're able uh, or comfortable doing that for the reading of the word of God. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. Uh, Just to set it up, an angel of the Lord by the name of Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah and Elizabeth, to uh, to Zechariah, and he told Elizabeth, this is what's going to happen. God says that in our old age, we're going to have a son. And God says we need to name him John. And so, in verse 57... When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, to dedicate him, much like we already did this morning. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. And they said to her, Well, there's nobody in your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth, Zechariah, the father's mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. And the neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was clearly with him. Go down to verse 76. This is the, these are the prophetic words spoken about John. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Ascends the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. John. What we're going to see is this was a man that from birth was all out for Jesus. From birth, John was what we might call eccentric, a bit different. Um, As we piece the scriptures together, we see it says that John was in the desert for 30 years. Uh, Some of the Bible studies got a hold of me this week. Well, how could he have been in the desert for 30 years? How old was he when he went out in the desert? And the Bible doesn't actually tell us that detail, but he was apparently very young when he went out in the desert. Uh, We can wonder if his parents, who were elderly when he was born, uh, didn't live very long, and perhaps they took him out to the desert. Um, It is believed by scholars that John lived among them, a sort of a monastic group um, who lived in a monastery, if you will, uh, called the Essenes. It was out in Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. 
And so it's believed that John lived with them for a long time, from very young years, which is not unusual, as Steve even mentioned, Hannah gave her son in the Old Testament. When he was five years old, she took him to the temple to be raised in the temple, to be dedicated and trained to serve the Lord. So maybe that's what's happened to John. We don't know. But I realize, uh, as I've reflected on John and studied his life, that um, I've had a limited view of John. Uh, too limited view of John. Uh, I've seen him as really kind of bizarre. You know, this is a guy that eats locusts and eats wild honey. And I mean, who lives on bugs? You know, that's really kind of strange. And and that's sort of stuck in my brain. And uh, he wears camel's clothes and our camel's hair clothes. And I'm, I mean, camel's hair coats are nice today, but I guess this wasn't of that caliber because uh, they've mentioned it, so it must have been some sort of unusual, odd-type outfit. And so I've kind of in my mind had this image of John as being just pretty eccentric and um, pretty odd in a sense. And yet, people flocked out to see him, to hear him preach. He went public at about the age of 30 and began a public ministry. And we can read in Matthew chapter 3 something about that ministry. It goes like this. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and also Judea. And in fact, the whole region of the Jordan. And they confessed their sins. And they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. And so people flocked out to John. It didn't matter if they were wealthy or if they were poor, if they were religious seekers or if they were religious leaders. They were all flocking out, crowds of them, to hear John preach. And so that makes me wonder why. What was the attraction of John, eccentric as he was? Well, apparently the attractions were numerous. One was that he had to have been a really powerful preacher. Uh, Another was that he must have had a very charismatic, winsome personality of some kind. It, It must have been that people knew this man is preaching truth. And they saw it as truth from the start. And it is the reality that among Jews at that time, there had not been a prophet for 400 years. It's what people call the prophetic silence of God, 400 years long, not since Malachi. Had there been a voice preaching to them with power, and suddenly this man appears, and he is preaching with a power that others didn't have. In fact, as I read with one scholar, said, noted this about John. His preaching stirred people. They were accustomed to hearing of a detailed set of laws that they had to keep in order to achieve a faraway hope of a better day. Their teachers sat ensconced in the temple and in the synagogues. They wore flowing robes and boasted of their own righteousness. Whereas John preached in the desert, wearing skin of a camel and eating insects and wild honey. John was different. The religious leaders of that day said, you need to keep this law, this law, this law, this law. And John instead preached a free-flowing, if you will, sermon message. He had to have been a powerful preacher because we're told in the pages of the Gospels that even King Herod wanted to go out and listen to him preach. We don't know that he went out into the desert, but we do know that he liked to hear John preach. 
He liked to listen to him. He said, it says, in fact, that Herod found him to be a holy and a righteous man. And so it was that John was popular. He was a popular preacher with the king. He was a popular preacher with all of the people that flocked out from a large geographic region to hear him preach. And he preached a message of the mercy of God. A message of the salvation of God that we just read at the end of Luke here, chapter 1. He preached a message of the grace and forgiveness of God that is available to you if you will just repent and be baptized. Repent. Repent. This is what the scriptures say about his message. He spoke straight to these people. Um, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He warned them there's going to be a judgment, a coming wrath. Change the way you live. Don't just be baptized, but live a new way. Let your life reflect Jesus Christ, who is to come. Let your life be a godly life. And so they asked him questions. For example, the crowd says, what should we do then? Well, John said, this is how you live. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should should do the same. And then the tax collectors also apparently went out and were baptized, and they said, so teacher, what should we do? Well, he said, don't collect any more money than you're required to. And then some soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? And John said, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So when they said, so how should we live? John told them how to live, whether it was the general crowd or whether it was tax collectors that went out to see him or whether it was soldiers. And in so doing, he set the stage for Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. He said to them, your Messiah is coming. Your Messiah is coming. And then finally, one day, Jesus launched his public ministry. And this is the way it went. John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Jesus. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. And I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so it was when Jesus came to be baptized by John. John said, oh, I'm not worthy to do that. In fact, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals, the straps on your sandals. But Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. And John declared, this is the Lamb of God. And the crowds that were there ready to be baptized by John that day heard him say, this is the Lamb of God. And they knew, wow, that's interesting because you see every morning and every night in the temple, lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people. And the people, when they were sinful, would go buy their own lamb and go take it to the temple to be forgiven of their sins. And, whoa, John's calling this the Lamb of God. John just said, this is the very Son of God. And John's own disciples began to turn away from John and start following Jesus. And John encouraged them to do that. Because for John, it was never about John. It was always about Jesus. 
But over time, John's disciples, the ones that stayed with John, were a bit uh, disheartened. And they say, why do they all have to go follow Jesus and not follow you anymore? And that's when John responded with what is a familiar verse. And some of you memorized it years ago in King James. He must increase and I must decrease. Or in a more modern version, no, this is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. And so John said, let him be in the center. Go follow him. But John could have no idea how much he was going to slip off to the sidelines. He experienced the public ministry of Jesus for probably only six months or so. And then John was thrown in prison by King Herod and his wife Herodias. Why? Because John preached his message of repentance. He preached to the king and he said, you should not be living with your brother's wife. You see King Herod gone over by the Dead Sea to his brother Philip's palace and said, wow, I like your wife Herodias. And apparently he took her and she must have wanted to come and they came back and she was happy being the queen in the palace with the king. But John said, that is absolutely not right. You should not have done that. And the king didn't like that message and Herodias didn't like that message and John languished in prison. Interestingly enough, the scriptures tell us that while he was in prison, the king would have him come and talk to him. But then he would send him back to the prison. Liked to hear from him, but didn't like his personal message. Change the way you're living. Well, after about a year of languishing in prison, uh, John was like confused. Why am I in prison? If Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't he pushing this immoral, ungodly, self-centered Herod out of the way? Or why isn't he getting me out of prison? And John experienced some confusion. Did I get it right? And so John sent his, some of his disciples over to ask Jesus that question. Did I get it right? Is my picture of you accurate? Are you the Lamb of God? Are you the Son of God? Did I get it right? And I love that John sent his question straight to Jesus. I love that God saw fit to put this little episode in the scriptures because who among us has not asked a question at some time? Did I get it right? When suffering hits or hard times hits or confusing things happen. Did I get it right, Jesus? Are are you who I thought you were? I mean, I married a Christian thinking it was going to be just the right marriage and never expected it to end in adultery and divorce. Did I get it right as I trusted you about these things? I work hard, maybe one or two jobs, but we're barely making it financially. Where are you, Jesus? Am I getting it right? Is my picture of you right? Or maybe you're a a student who hangs out with Christian kids and tries to make friends with Christian kids because that's your heart and that's your desire, but 
They don't seem to want to be friends with you. And you're saying, where are you, Jesus? Or maybe some Christian leader has disappointed you and you're saying, wow, did I get it right? Or maybe somebody dear to you has died and you're really wondering, did I get it right? Why didn't Jesus answer my prayers? Jesus honors honest questions from honest seekers. And so he did for John when he sent that question over to Jesus Um, Did I get it right? Are you the one that I thought you were? Jesus sent an answer back with John's followers, and this is the way it went. Go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away. Jesus sent an honest answer. Because you see, John had missed most of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he'd been in prison for a year. And John gets this message back. Wow, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, their people raised from the dead. Wow. Okay. You are the Son of God. And as far as Scripture records, there was never another time that John sent a question to Jesus. He settled in the answer he had been given. And you know, over the next 24 or 5 weeks, as we look at the life of Jesus and come at him from the different angles of people that experienced him, I really believe that as we sit with questions, he's going to meet us with those questions. Because he's a question-answering God. The questions may not come the first week they rise in our hearts or the second week or the first month or the second month, but our God is the God who meets us in the midst of our hardest questions, just like he met John. And you know, as John sat there languishing in prison, he never backed off the message to Herod. And and I would thought, you know, that could have been a kind of comfortable thing to do because maybe if you stop telling Herod to repent, he'll let you out of prison. But John didn't. And as a result, six months later, after a year and a half in prison, John was executed and his head was on a platter. Executed by Herod and Herodias. Wow. First martyr, really, of the Christian faith. Only 34, 35 years old. And sometimes it helps me when I'm studying through four different Gospels, trying to fit together the pieces of a person's life to try to construct a timeline. And this is the timeline that that I sense is, is the right timeline for John's life. For 30 years, he prepared for ministry. For two years, he prepared other people for Jesus. And then at the age of 32, he was privileged to baptize Jesus. By 33, he was in prison. By 34, 35, he was executed. Wow. All in for Jesus. (laughs) Certainly we can say that about John. But what did Jesus say about John? What did Jesus think about John? Well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, I tell you, among those born of women, 
No one is greater than John. No one is greater than John. That was the accolade Jesus expressed to the man that prepared the way for his ministry to launch. And I've long loved Matthew chapter 14, which um, to me is a fairly poignant portion of scripture because the first of that chapter starts with Jesus who is way up uh, north in Israel, if you will, Palestine, up by the Sea of Galilee, the north edge, ministering. And he gets word that traveled up from Jerusalem that John in prison in Jerusalem had been beheaded. That's the launch of chapter 14 in Matthew. Well, Jesus is into his day and he's healing and he's preaching and he literally feeds 5,000 people that day. Major ministry day for Jesus. But then at the end of it, he sends all of the people away, it says. And then he sends his disciples off, get in a boat and you go on across the Sea of Galilee. I'll catch you later because I need to be alone with my father. And I think he held off his grief, held off his questions till that night he could get alone with his father. Because he was, after all, not only the son of God, but the son of man. And this was a deep grief to his heart that John had been executed. Over the next 24 weeks, we'll see person after person that was really pretty much like John. All in for Jesus. Maybe not at first, Some came with questions, some came with doubts. But ultimately, those doubts were resolved and they were all in for Jesus. Fully devoted, sold out. And I just want to invite you to engage in the journey as we go along these next six months looking deeply into the life of Christ through the eyes of all these people. We have study guides at Pursuits that you could pick up We have still space in Bible studies. Or maybe you'll just get a study guide and study on your own. Or grab a friend and meet once a week over together in our coffee shop and go through a lesson. Or maybe, if you will, you could pick up one of our calendars. We've created a little reading calendar that um, encourages everybody just to read through the Gospels for the next six months. Read a chapter a day, five days a week, starting in Matthew. And as we do that, we'll keep seeing the life of Jesus over and over and over as he unfolds in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And then we go back to Matthew and Mark and we'll have read the Gospels, six six Gospels, if you will, four of them, two of them twice by next May. And we'll know Jesus a lot better. And I think we'll be uh, more deeply in love with Jesus than we've ever been before. You know the woman Mimi that I told you came uh, and stood in line at the clinic? What I didn't tell you is that uh, Mimi has cancer. And Mimi herself is uh, under radiation and chemotherapy treatments right now. And yet Mimi, sick as she was, stood in line for her friends. And her friends were the first and second into the clinic the next morning. And... When the people in the clinic were asked, as they always are, if there's anybody here that would like somebody to pray, we have a prayer team that really uh, would love to pray with you. Mimi's friends raised their hands and they went into the cozy little prayer room that we have in the clinic. And 
the people who prayed with them said, so tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey and what is it you want from Jesus today? And by the end of a short conversation, um, this husband and wife had received Christ and those are their roses on the piano today. Yeah, yeah. Two people are now on a journey to Jesus because one woman, so all into Jesus, so all into loving them for Jesus, that they really had to know why. So may we all um, engage in the journey, and I think we'll be different people come next May. Shall we pray? Father, how we ask you that you would make your word come alive to us week in and week out. That we would know Jesus in a way that just uh, confounds us, surprises us, shocks us, excites us, enlarges our hearts for him and our hearts for you. We pray, Father, that you would minister to our souls as we open your word week after week. And that as a church family, we would be different. We would be uh, Jesus people like we've never perhaps been Jesus people before, all through this year and certainly by next May. So we just commit ourselves to you for the glory of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to Barbara Fletcher, Associate Pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. And again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.